Welcome. This sermon podcast is a production of Refresh Community Church, where Dr. Carlos Smith is our lead pastor. Our vision is to see our hearts refreshed by Christ's presence, our relationships renewed for Christ's purpose, our lives rebuilt by Christ's power, and our communities restored by Christ's people. We pray that you are blessed by today's message, and we look forward to seeing you in person soon. Amen. We're going to be continuing our series in the Gospel of Luke, and this week we are in Luke chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verse 6 through 11. Next week, we're going to start a vision series on our vision as Refresh Community Church. But this week, we're going to be in Luke. We're going to take some time in August and look at um, our mission and vision and scriptures uh, related to that. But today, we're going to be in Luke chapter 6, verse 6 through 11. If you would stand with me for the reading of God's word. And in many ways, this passage is a continuation um, of our passage last week. It's all the same context. Luke chapter 6, verse 6 through 11. And it'll be on your screens if you can't find it in your Bible. And when you have it, give me an amen. 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 Here's the reading of the word of God. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath. So, so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said, after looking around at them all, he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Would you pray with me? Eternal God, our Father, we thank you that, God, you bring restoration to the withered places of our life. We thank you that you don't reject us, you don't discard us, you don't throw us away. But, God, even those of us who are withered or have withered parts of our life, God, you continue to call us to yourself. You continue to command us, God. And most of all, you continue to restore us and draw us to yourself and use us for your purposes and for your glory. So, God, I pray that you would be with us in this preaching moment. God, I pray that you would empower me, God. I pray that you would think through my mind and speak through my mouth and encourage and edify your bride. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may have your seats. I just want to talk to us for a few minutes from the thought, restoration for the withered. Restoration for the withered. You know, when you hear the word wither, it does not evoke positive imagery. A quick survey of cultural artifacts would confirm this. You don't find many positive poems or novels or plays or songs or pieces of literature that have to do with withering. They are never and almost never ever encouraging, uplifting, because the word wither gives pictures of dying, decay, being starved of resources, and being near to death. The Cambridge Dictionary confirms this, and it simply defines withering as to become weak and dry and to decay. The second definition in the Cambridge Dictionary is even more ominous. It says to slowly disappear, to lose importance, and to become weaker. 
We are all familiar with this phenomenon. I've had this phenomenon many times in life just like you have. I had a plant that the staff put in my office, and it was a beautiful plant. It was so beautiful, I thought it was plastic. Um, and so I didn't water it because it was so pristine, I thought it was plastic. And I found out in, in, in a few weeks that it was, in fact, not plastic, um, but that it was a real plant. I didn't find it out until I looked over, and all the leaves were on the floor of my office. And I tried to water it and bring it back, and nothing could help but... Nothing has taught me more about withering than my illustrious career um, at Walmart Supercenters. That's right. I am a former employee of Walmart. The Walton family helped to get me through college. I'm so grateful for all the wonderful things that I learned in that blue vest at Walmart um, being there and all the sermon illustrations that I'll have for decades to come working at Walmart. But the Walmart that I worked in, I worked in a produce department. Because of my years of working in produce, I still have a keen eye for produce. I'm not going to say publicly where you don't want to buy it from, but if you want to know, come and ask me. It's, it's, it's probably exactly where you think. You look at that produce, don't quite look right, but I worked in produce for many, many years. And so when I had first started working there, I was in this area of the store working and I was calling and rotating the produce to make sure that people like yourself can come in and get the freshest lettuces from Walmart. And so I was doing my job and I had come to the avocados and as a brand new produce person, I looked at these avocados and some of them were green and firm and early and young and look exactly how I thought an avocado should look. But some of them were dark and had gotten soft. And so I, in my mind, was doing exactly what a good produce associate at Walmart Supercenter should do. I was about to throw these old avocados in the trash. And as I got ready to throw these avocados, I was putting them into my junk bin, a, a older Hispanic grandmother came up to me and she said, no, 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 what are you doing? And I looked at her and my name tag, it had my name on it, Carlos. She assumed that I speak Spanish. And she started telling me <laughs> something in Spanish. And I didn't have locks at the time, I just had a curly head full of hair, so she thought I was one of her people, but I kind of maybe, I don't know, I'm just a black dude from Detroit. And so I didn't quite catch everything. But when she saw I didn't speak, she switched over to English and she said, no, 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 no. These avocados are still good. And I, in my mind, they didn't look good. But she said, I can make guacamole. I can make this. I can bake with them. You don't throw these away. They're just different kind of avocados, even though they're withered. And I was going to throw them all in the trash. And she packed a bunch of them up and took them home and said she was going home to cook. And that older Hispanic grandmother did not know it at that moment, but she was going to help a young preacher preach a few years later that when we are withered that God does not discard us that even when it looks like we should be trashed even when it looks like we are worn even when it looks like our shelf life has gone as far as it can go that God still has a purpose a plan and use for us and for his glory now I know and I'm fully aware that you are not an avocado but I do know and I'm looking at you y'all not y'all not avocado but I do know that every single one of us know what it's like to feel withered. Every single one of us can know what it feels like to be discardable, to feel expendable. It may not be your whole person, but it may be one part of your life. You may be like the man in this text, and your whole life is doing well. Your whole life is flourishing. You got a good job. You got money in the bank. You feeling good, but this one area of your life, it seems that it's drying up, and there's nothing that can be used for it. But God sent me to tell you this morning that he will not discard 
you in, even that area of your life that seems like it is dying on the vine, God is going to redeem it and use it for his glory. And that God is able to resurrect even those areas of our life that feel like they are withered and dying right in front of our face. I wish I had a church who knows that God is in the business of resurrecting that which is withered. And so I... I started wrestling with this text because I looked at it, and, and, and the, brother, the brother here, he has a withered hand. You know, I talked about fruit and plants and avocados and any other thing you can think that can be withered, but those are all things that are external to you. What happens when the thing that is dying is attached to you? What do you do when the thing that is withered is not something that is outside of you, but feels like a dying symbiote that has attached itself to you in a leech form that is sucking the life from you? That is the reality of this brother. What happens when a thing that is so close to you feels that, it's flour- that, it's, that it refuses to flourish and that it is even dying? And that is the question that this brother here has to answer. And so we pick up this text here. In in this ongoing saga of Jesus and Sabbath controversies with the Pharisees, the Pharisees make themselves a nuisance to Jesus because every time there's a Sabbath, they pop up to see if he's going to heal on it. And I like Jesus. I'm going to tell you why. Because Jesus is what we used to call back in the days, bout it. If you don't know what bout it means, don't worry about it. But that's what Jesus was. He was bout it. He was gully. He was ready for action. He didn't run from a fight. And so they wanted to see if he was going to heal on the Sabbath. And you know what he did? He decided to heal on the Sabbath. I I like Jesus because Jesus is not nearly as tender and have as smooth a skin as those paintings would make you to believe. Jesus Jesus was a carpenter. He probably had calluses on his hands. He was was essentially a a first century construction worker. And so he was a little more blue collar than I think we give him credit for. We have him pictured with the lambs and stuff. That's cool. He's a good shepherd. I ain't mad. But y'all just need to know that Jesus was about the action. So they wanted to see if he was going to heal on the Sabbath. Jesus decides to heal on the Sabbath because he did not want them in any way confused about who he was. He told them, I preached last week, about how he is the Lord of the Sabbath, that he is Yahweh in the flesh, that he decides what happens on the Sabbath, not them, that he is not just an interpreter of the Torah, that he is the Torah, the Logos, the mean one, the word of God incarnate in the flesh. And so his interpretation reigns supreme. And so if he wants to heal folks on the Sabbath, that's exactly what he is going to do. But he Here we are in another Sabbath controversy with Jesus and the Pharisees, and they enter in on another Sabbath, and they want to know if he's going to heal, and Jesus, of course, does, and we meet this man who has a withered right hand. Fun fact, you should know this, that this account occurs in every one of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but only Luke records that it's the man's right hand that is withered. Luke records this This insight, no one knows exactly why, but some of them think it's because Luke was a physician. He was a medical doctor who traveled with the Apostle Paul, and he was skilled in medicine. And for physical healings and physical miracles, he tends to give more attention to detail. But because this is an inspired text, I also think that it's not just the logistics of Luke knowing about the physical anatomy and being fascinated with the details of a medical healing, but I also think it has to do with the theology of the right hand in Scripture. You see, in Hebraic 
thought a man's right hand was his hand of strength, dexterity, ability, might, and power. So much so that when you see the anthropomorphisms of God throughout the Hebrew scriptures, it attributes God's power to his right hand. You see in Exodus that it says when God delivers them out of Egypt, it says your right hand, O Lord, is glorious in power. Your right hand shatters the enemy. The prophet Isaiah said, um, and, and, uh, puts these words in God's mouth, my hand laid the foundation of the earth and my right hand spread out the heavens. We all know where Jesus is seated right now, that Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, still incarnate in the flesh. Where is he sitting right now? He's where? At the right hand of God. The right hand is the power and this is the very hand that the man cannot use. You see, this man exists in an honor-shame culture, and as a man who couldn't use his right hand, this probably means that people look down on him. They may have thought that he had sinned in some way. They may have assumed that he had some type of issue and that God was punishing him. And what we know for a fact is that because in this culture, he would not have been able to have a typical job, it's very likely that he had experienced some financial discomfort. But what we know is that the brother's right hand was withered. It was atrophied. It had been paralyzed for so long that it had lost muscle mass. We don't know if he was born this way. We don't know if he had an accident. We don't know if he had a stroke. All we know is that the brother could not use that which should have been the source of strength. And we have to ask ourselves when we look at this account that what do we do when the areas of our, our areas of our life that should be a strength, that should be flourishing, that should be a source of vitality, how do we uh, relate? How do we walk through life when those are the areas that are withered? How do we understand ourselves? How do we understand, more importantly, God when the areas that should be life-giving are withered? What do we do when it seems that our health is withered, when it seems that our marriage is withering, that our economic situation is just withering and dying on the vine, when it seems that our hopes and our dreams, our goals, our education, the future that we had planned for ourselves seems to be withering. For some of us, that's related to circumstance and to things that are beyond our control. For others of us, it may be our very age where we feel that we are over the hill or getting close to over the hill, that we've been single for so long and it seems that our very youthfulness is withering and our dream of starting a family is withering. What do we do and how do we relate to God when it seems the things that would give us life are actually dying right in front of us? Well, I think that Jesus in this passage gives us cause to hope that he reminds us that he specializes in bringing restoration and resurrection in those areas of our life. But I also think that God, he chooses, he, and, and I wrestled with this in the text, it kind of frustrated me a little bit. We know that God is sovereign, that God has power, that God has all power in his hand, but God chooses to partner with us in restoration. That even in our withered state, God still dignifies us by addressing us, by seeing us, by calling us even for his glory. Because I was just frustrated looking at this because I was like, the brother's hand is withered and yet Jesus gives him at least two commands in the text. And tells him to do things that I think was kind of wild a little bit. But Jesus says, I, even in your withered state, I will always dignify you and call you to myself. And so in that, there are things that I'm calling you towards because I believe I still got purpose and power that I'm going to work in you. And so I want you to trust me to experience my power. And so I'm, I'm going to just give you a couple of those if that's okay. I won't, I won't be too long. I know it's Journey Refresh and y'all probably got brunch plans because you're like, hey, this Journey Refresh. Oh, I'm sorry, Journey. This ain't Journey. Refresh, Ju, July Refresh. 
July refresh. We should, there we go, July refresh. We journey refresh. I didn't combine the two. July refresh. So we still got some stuff. So I'm going a, I'm to a, I'm a, I'm a get out your way real quick here. But the first thing that we see that I just want to point out is that Jesus brings restoration to the withered when we show up. Jesus brings restoration to the withered when we show up. Look at verse 6. It says, it's another Sabbath. This is a Saturday. He enters the synagogue. This is Jesus. Jesus enters the synagogue and was teaching. And look, a man was there whose right hand was withered. He was there. That's the word I just want you to focus. He was there. The man wasn't doing nothing spectacular. He wasn't doing nothing incredible. He was just there. In this culture, this would have been a, a superhuman feat because the brother probably experienced all kind of shame and castigation and self-consciousness, but he was there. He is there to experience the fulfillment of Isaiah 54 when it says, all of your children shall be taught by Yahweh. This is Jesus once again entering a synagogue, and we are in Luke chapter 6. And in Luke chapter 6, at least five times that I was able to count, Jesus is found teaching in a synagogue. In Luke chapter 2, Jesus is in the temple asking questions of the rabbis at 12 years old. Here's a quick aside in a commercial again for refreshed kids. Jesus was in the temple asking questions at 12 years old. We got some 12-year-olds over here in the church that are asking questions. Wouldn't it be so great if you helped to ask, answer them? Because Jesus, God in the flesh, was once a child, and he needed somebody to answer his questions. Hallelujah. Sign up for Refresh Kids. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. But Jesus is in the temple asking questions at 12 years old. In Luke chapter 4, we see that Jesus is teaching and preaches his trial sermon in his hometown of Nazareth. He preached so good, he almost gets stoned. So he moves over in Luke 4.31 to Capernaum and teaches again. In Luke 5.1, he's teaching by the Sea of Galilee. In Luke 5.17, he goes back home and he's teaching outside of his house. The point is, is that Jesus tends to hang out near his word. And he's hanging out near his word. He's teaching in a synagogue. And we don't know much about this brother with a withered hand. We don't know his background. We don't know his personality. We don't know his lifestyle. We don't know his family of origin, but here's what we do know. He was there. He just kept showing up. The sense of this text is that he just showed up Sabbath after Sabbath after Sabbath with his withered hand. And here's what I noticed as I looked at this. This brother showed up Sabbath after Sabbath after Sabbath and was never healed. Every Sabbath, he would show up, and he would sit in the synagogue service, and in part of the synagogue service, they have the service of the Torah. When they take the Torah out, and they parade it around the synagogue, and everybody stretches forth the tassels of their prayer shawl or stretches forth their prayer books, and they touch the Torah. And you know what? This brother couldn't stretch forth his right hand and touch the Torah because it was lame. It was impotent. It did not work, and yet he showed up Saturday after Saturday after Saturday and was never healed. He showed up every single week and was not able to fully participate because his right hand was withered. And I know you're like, Carlos, what are you talking about? What does this showing up have to do with anything, and what does it have to do with me? Because I want to encourage us, and I want to talk to our people who've been walking with Jesus for a while. If you have been walking with Jesus for a while, there has been a period in your walk with the Lord. You ain't got to look up. You can just pretend like you're taking notes. But there have been times when you come to church, and it just seemed like nothing 
happened. You came week after week after week, and it seemed like the Lord didn't meet you there. The sermon didn't resonate. Worship didn't speak to your heart. You just come, and nothing happens. Just like this man came and was never healed. You go to your prayer closet, and you pray, and it seems like in your quiet time with the Lord, you pray, and the words go out your mouth and fall and hit the ground. They never make it up to heaven. You read your daily devotional, and it's completely irrelevant. Your solid joys with John Piper just ain't hitting like they used to. You, you do your daily Bible reading, and it seems that you land in this weird genealogy in the book of Numbers that have nothing to do with your life and situation. And it seems like nothing in your pursuit of the Lord is resonating or bringing life to your situation. But the Lord asked me to tell you today to just keep showing up. Just keep worshiping. Keep praying. Keep singing worship to God because Jesus hangs out there and eventually you're going to meet Jesus where you are. You see, Jesus likes to hang out near his word. If you ever hear, hear somebody talking about Christianity outside of the word, they're not talking about Christianity. You don't get Christianity without God's word. You don't get God's spirit without God's word. You don't get God's presence without God's word. Now, here's the other thing when you look at this brother. This brother here, he, he happens to go to synagogue this week because this is what he does. And when he's there, Jesus so happens to be there. But y'all know we Christians. Y'all know we don't just believe in happenstance, right? We don't just believe in luck. I believe that this brother here that we're talking about, you have to think about this for a minute. This brother who just happened to go to synagogue with regularity, who happened to be there when Jesus was there, we're talking about him some 2,000 years later, some thousands of miles removed from the place in Israel. I just got to believe that God is using this story to, uh, to encourage us and to lift us up that this was not happenstance, but this was a divine appointment. That God had decided long ago that this man would be in this place at this time in all of his witheredness and had preserved him in his withered state so that he can meet Jesus on this day. I know y'all looking at me like, preacher, what does this have to do with anything? I'm here to tell you, one, that your withered state does not preclude God's presence, purpose, and plan in your life. That God had been keeping the man with the withered hand throughout his childhood, throughout his adolescence, throughout his manhood, and that God had preserved him in that moment so that he could be an encouragement today, and that even in his wilderness, God still had purpose for his life. And so as you look at your life and look at the withered places and the broken places, I'm here to tell you that the, that the fact that something is withered, broken, or a struggle in your life is not evidence that God is absent. In fact, it might be evidence that you're right in the plan of God. That God has chosen to center you in his plan in such a manner that maybe you have a thorn to bear, but that God is going to use it for his glory. You know, God had been keeping and directing this man, even in the midst of his struggles. And sometimes we equate comfort and the lack of structure with being in God's plan. But God says, that, listen, you, I know you're struggling. I know that it's an area of discomfort, but it is still according to my purpose. And I am with you in my purpose. And when I show up, I'm going to transform you for my glory. Let me, let me help you out with this. You know, when I was a kid, my mom, she had this, uh, this poster and I used to read it all the time. It was, a, it was a poster. We wasn't like a church-going family or anything, but, you know, nobody was atheist or anything, so we believed in Jesus and whatnot. And so there was a poster on the wall, and it was the footprints in the sand. 
poster. I don't know if y'all remember that poem, Footprints in the Sand. And, and if you don't know what Footprints in the Sand is, the, the moral of the story is simply this. There's someone who's talking to Jesus. And they're saying, Lord, you walk with me. We've been walking together. But I see both of our footprints in the sand. And it seems like we're walking together and everything's going well. But when life gets hard, I've only seen one set of footprints. And this poem, it takes a bit of an accusatory tone with God, much like we often do. Like when the disciples were drowning, Lord, do you care? The, the poem says, Lord, I've only seen one set of footprints in the moments that I needed you most, as so as to imply that maybe God was no longer with them. But Jesus responded that the place where you only see one set of footprints, they're not your footprints. That's the place where I carried you. And, and, and even though you were withered, even... Even though you were broken, those are the places where I lifted you up. And child of God, I know you're withered. I know you're broken. But don't think for one moment that because you are in the struggle that God's purpose and his presence has left you. God is still carrying you even up until this point. So I want to encourage you for a moment, even when you don't feel it, even when it seems like it's not working to keep showing up. I believe that our restoration is in to just keep on showing up, even in our witheredness. And related to that, I believe that Jesus brings us to restoration when we not only show up, but when we stand up. Now, I, I told you, I, I, I wrestled with Jesus on this because I felt like Jesus was, was messing with the poor man. But, but you see, in, in, in verse 7, it says, the scribes and the Pharisees were watching Jesus. They they were watching Jesus. They were seeing whether he would heal on Sabbath. Of course he's going to heal on Sabbath. He Jesus. This is what Jesus does. But they were watching because that's what haters do. They were just watching. Just, just Now, Jesus preaching. Jesus didn't preach the whole word of God. The word of God preached by the word of God. They ain't looking at this and they ain't listening to that. They're just watching Jesus, finding a reason to accuse him. Verse 8, he says he knew their thoughts, and so Jesus picked a fight. He said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. And the man obeyed him. He came and he stood there. You see, these people... They're watching Jesus, trying to see what he's going to do. But y'all know who they don't ever look at in the text, ever, you notice? They never look at the man with the withered hand. You see, these are the Pharisees. These are the predecessors of today's rabbis. These were the religious elite. These were the church folk of his day. They were so busy looking at a way to critique Jesus that they never see the man. They never notice this brother. And I guarantee you, if I had to, if I was a betting man, if I was the type to play the power, what is it, Mega Millions is 1.5 billion, if I was that kind of person that would put some money somewhere, I would put money on the fact that this brother was not a visitor to the local synagogue. I would put money on the fact that the man with the withered hand did not fill out a connect card, he didn't talk to the host team, this was not his first time there. He was a regular and they didn't see him. They didn't notice him. They didn't acknowledge him. They didn't show up to see him and make sure he was good. They showed up to critique Jesus. And some of us know what it's like to not be seen and sometimes not only not be seen by society, but not even be seen in the church. To, to, to not be known, to not be understood, to not be embraced. And that was the reality of this man. But guess who does see him? Jesus sees him. Jesus sees him. And, and that's the word for some of us right there, that wherever you are in your withered state, whatever you're wrestling with, whether I know it or not, or whether people in your community know it or not, whether it's just between you and God, God told me to tell you this morning that he sees you. He sees you right where you are. He sees you in your situation, and he knows where you are. And what I love about God's sight is that every time God sees, God is never just observing, but anytime we see this anthropomorphizing of God's actual 
attributes, we know that God is going to act. So he not only sees him, but God calls the man. He says he sees the brother, but the Bible says he calls the man to himself. And that should be reassurance that those of us who are struggling in our life and our situations and wrestling and looking at our life, that God still speaks and he still calls you to himself. But here's the scary part about God calling you when you are obviously in a struggle. It's that you can no longer hide. Because Jesus doesn't just call him and have a sidebar with him. That would have been cool. That ain't what I was wrestling with in the text. Look at what Jesus does. It's right here in the text. Verse 8. He knew their thoughts. So in a way, it's kind of weird. Like, I feel like the brother is caught in the middle, right? He just showed up to the synagogue trying to hear the word of God. Here come the, the, the Pharisees, and Jesus like, okay, I'm, I'm going to use this as an object lesson. And Jesus says, hey, I want you to come and stand here. And the man obeyed. Could you imagine? Now, I actually had the privilege of seeing a synagogue in Capernaum up in the northern part of Israel when I was there. This was a decent-sized building, more than likely, okay? It was a good amount of folks in there on a Sabbath day, okay? Can you imagine if you had a withered hand, if you had something that could cause you shame, if Jesus calls you to the front of the church in the middle of the sermon and says, stand right here, and everybody look at it. I want everybody to see what's broken with you. You see, God sees you and he calls you to himself. But check this out. God is a God of no filters. He said, I don't, I don't want you to come and stand here with your Snapchat and your IG filters that smooth out your skin and make all your blemishes disappear and make sure that we can't see your scars. I want you to stand here exactly as you are. And I'm, I'm going to make sure that you're known, that you're fully known, that all your brokenness, all your frailness, your past, your history, all the ways that you have failed God, all the ways that you have rebelled against people, I want to make sure that you are seen in all your witheredness. And so he sets him in the middle of the room. And I know that many of us would prefer to play the background. I know that many of us would prefer to fly under the radar. I know some of us got a testimony that we have never told, that some of us got scars that we have never shown. But God says the only reason that I'm going to have you stand up in front of people in your wilderness, in your witheredness, is not to shame you, but so that I can get glory from you. Because the degree to which you minimize your witheredness is the degree to which you minimize my glory. In other words, if people don't see your scars, if people don't hear your past, if people don't hear your testimony, then they can never glorify me for bringing you through what I brought you through. And so God is saying to you today that, yes, I know this area is withered in your life. Yes, I know it's a struggle, but I don't want you to hide it. I want you to stand in the middle of the assembly. And you don't have to worry about shame. You don't have to worry about shame and all this stuff because I took all your shame on the cross. There ain't no shame. Ain't no, let me tell you, in the church, ain't no big eyes and little U's. From the pulpit all the way to the pew, Jesus took all of our shame. And trust me, your stuff ain't no worse than nobody else. I want you to stand there in full transparency and show the world how I brought you from a mighty long way, how I brought you through many dangers, toils, and snares, how I brought you over all the trials, how kept you through the floods of life, how I kept you through the challenges, how I kept you through the sickness, how I kept you through the divorce. God wants us to stand there with all of our scars and witheredness so that he can get maximum glory from our story. You see, the text says that Jesus restores this withered man. He has him stand right in the middle, and I feel bad for this brother because it almost feels like, almost feels like, man, this, this guy's in between. This, this, this interaction with Jesus and, and in between this interaction with the Pharisees, but Jesus says, listen, my purpose 
is your full restoration. And so we see that when he shows up, Jesus calls him to stand up. But then Jesus brings restoration to this withered man. And he brings it to us when we stretch out. Look at, look at verse 9. Jesus asked him. He's talking to the Pharisees and the scribes. He said, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to destroy it? After looking around at them all, so Jesus says to the man, stretch out your hand. He did it. It was restored. He looks at the man with a withered, paralyzed, atrophied hand and asks him to do the absolute impossible. <laughs> Jesus looks at the man who can't, the whole point of the account is that he can't move his hand. And Jesus tells him to move his hand. Can you imagine what it would have been like if the brother just couldn't? Could you imagine the embarrassment that Jesus would have suffered if the man did not stretch out his hand and he just puts this man in the middle of the synagogue and shames him in front of his entire community? You see, Jesus actually had a lot riding on this miracle. Because if it didn't work out, he would have been exposed as a fraud. But if it did work out, he would have been exposed as God in the flesh. And we know how the story ends. Jesus says, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was fully restored. And I, 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 my question was, God, when did the restoration happen? It says, you say stretch out your hand. He couldn't do that based on how the story starts. But all of a sudden, when Jesus gives a command, all of a sudden, he can do that very thing. And so what I learned from looking at this text is that the power that God has in our life, in our wither situation, is not in our strength, in our might, in our ability to muster up more energy, but it's in the power of his word and his command that gives us the dunamis and the ability to do the very impossible. Oh, God. And some of us are looking at our situation, and let's just be honest, in your own power, it is impossible. It is impossible for you to fix your health. It is impossible for you to fix your faith. It is impossible for you to build your relationships. It is impossible for you to build that business. You are looking at your life and your circumstances and you are asking the same question that God asked Ezekiel in chapter 36. Can these dry bones live? And in your power, no, they cannot. There is not a word you can speak, nothing that you can do to move that hand, nothing you can do to change that situation. But with the word and the breath of God, God can make the dry bones of your life live. And so that's what we need to know, that the power is not in our action. I thank God that God tells the brother to show up and tells him to stand up and tell him to stretch out. But from the beginning to the end, it is the providence and the power of God that brings to fruition that which is impossible in this man's life. You know, I, I was blessed this last week. I was hanging out with my, my brother-in-law, who's a, who's a big-time doctor down in Atlanta. And, you know, I, I like talking to people who do important stuff. It's just nice to have important friends in important places, just in case you need a favor. So I was talking to him and... Um, <laughs> talking to him about his life's work, and I was nodding like I understood this medical stuff he was talking. I was like, yeah, I got a PhD, absolutely, yes. I, get I didn't know what he was talking about, half time. But we were talking about his life and his work and what a day looks like for him, and he was just kind of in passing, just telling me in general uh, what he's up to. But he just talked about his patients and the care that he has for them and writing prescriptions and how he has to make sure they have their medication and the right doses and all that stuff. 
And in that moment, I realized um, as he was talking to me, I was like, man, I didn't say this to him. It was just something I was processing internally. I was like, man, it's crazy that there's a whole, like, bunch of medicine that I cannot get unless this guy says so. I mean, it's kind of crazy. Like, you, I mean, half the medicine just at, over-the-counter stuff you can't get. You ain't tried to buy Sudafed lately? Like, they, they asked for a blood test, hair follicles, a kidney. I'm like, bro, I just got a stuffy nose. Please help me. And they, they want so much information now for Sudafed. But anyway, there's reasons. Uh, <laughs> And I was talking to my brother-in-law, he started talking about prescriptions, and I realized that when I show up at Walgreens or CVS, that I can walk in, I can ask for anything behind that counter, and, and they will cheerfully and promptly tell me no if I don't have a prescription. I can, can ask for all kind of controlled substances, all kind of pills that I could do things with, and they, they would just tell me no if I didn't have a prescription. And it, it just told me that without this prescription, this piece of paper, this script that they send over, that I don't have authority to access it and there's nothing I can do to get it. But at the word of a doctor, I can get ex access to whatever I need. And child of God, just like a good doctor, a good physician, Jesus will give you access to exactly what you need when you need it to do the impossible that you can never do in your own power. And so God just wanted me to tell y'all that he can bring restoration to the withered parts of your life through the power of his word because he has already authorized it. He authorized it 2,000 years ago on Calvary when he stretched out his own hands, when he took nails in his hands and took rivets in his feet and gave his head to the crown of thorns and gave his back to the cat of nine tails and gave his side to be pierced. He said, I already wrote the prescription. I've already given you access to what you need. I've already given you everything that you need to do the impossible. So he says, child of God, even though you're withered, even though you're broken, even though you're fallen, even though you're fallible, I want you to show up, stand up, and stretch out on faith. I want you to put your faith in me in that area that is broken and fallen, knowing that I'm going to bring full restoration to your life. And so as we get ready to pray and seek the face of the Lord, I want to invite us. Listen, God is not done with you. God ain't finished with you. And I would even argue, and it's, it's a frustrating thing to think about, that sometimes our, our struggles are part of God's plan, but they, they really are. If we believe in a sovereign God, and I believe in a sovereign God, I don't want a God that's reactive. I don't want a God who's who trying to figure out what he's going to do now that, that, now, with, now that the world powers didn't did what they didn't did. Now he, tried, now he responded to the stock market. I don't want that God. I want the God who is absolutely sovereign. I want the God who even in the thorn that I bear, he can look at me and say, my grace is sufficient. Because my strength is made perfect in weakness. And in my own due time and when I empower you, I'm going to use that very thorn to bring about my glory. And so I want us in this moment, as we get ready to worship, we're going to go before the Lord, we're going to sing another song. But the altar will be open. There will be brothers in there, there will be sisters here. And man, can they pray? Can they pray with you? They can pray for you. There are some burdens and some things that we're bearing, and here's what I know. Probably 99% of them, I have no clue what they are. And guess what? I don't need to. I don't need to know the story. I don't need to know everything. But here's what I do know. God is able to bring restoration. And that he calls us to stretch out. And there are some areas in your life that's been withered, that's been atrophied, that seems dead. 
And God sent me to tell you today that he is ready to speak life into those areas. That he's not giving up on that dream. He's not giving up on that purpose. He's not giving up on that destiny. But God says, come to me and cry out. There are brothers and sisters who can walk with you, who can pray with you, who can bombard heaven on your behalf. I want to invite you to pray with them, to not bear that burden alone. You don't have to. And it may be about nothing I preach about. Everything I said today may not be necessarily helpful for you, but maybe it's just something that you know in your heart that you need to take to the Lord. Our altar will be open. You can cry out to the Lord. But we want to go to the Lord and worship together and reach out and cry out to him because he knows that we know that he is able to bring restoration to our lives. Let us pray. Eternal God, our Father, we thank you that you are the God of restoration. God, not just restoration, you are the God of resurrection. That God, Jesus purchased everything that we needed on Calvary, and then he stood on resurrection ground to declare that everything that we need, he's already purchased that our restoration comes through his power and through his presence. God, I pray that you would be with us today. God, minister to us. Meet us in those places that seem wither and encourage us by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We pray this message has impacted you in a meaningful way. If you want to know more about how Jesus can change your life, we would love to connect with you further. Send an email to hello at refreshcommunity.church or come visit us at 829 North Hanley Road in University City, Missouri. Be sure to subscribe and share the podcast with your friends. Thanks for listening and see you next time.